Hey, good morning, Life Church. I never cease to be extremely nervous uh, to speak in front of all of you, um, but I am very uh, thankful for the opportunity. Thank you, Roger, and to the staff just for believing in me. Um, it's a pleasure to get to be with you today. So, oh, I got to remember my timer. I tend to go over, so I like having a number telling me, stop, slow down, get done. So, now I have that. So, um, just to start off, I thought I'd be vulnerable with all of you this morning. Um, so, a couple months ago, Roger, uh, we were preparing for this Advent series, the sermon series. Roger knew he wanted to have a couple of us pastors uh, preach during the series, um, myself and Amber. And I remember, so this actually wasn't the week originally I was scheduled to preach. It was supposed to be next week on a different topic. I don't even remember what that topic is next week. Um, however, I do remember when I first was assigned, I looked back at the 12th and I said, you know what, I'm really glad that I don't have to preach on the 12th, that I don't have to preach on joy because I have no idea what I would say um, or what I would teach. Um, so you may be in for one today. We'll see what happens. God's got it. Um, Pastor, uh, Pastor Roger said, my name is Mason. Um, some of you know my story, may not, maybe not all of you. Um, but last year, 2020, July, um, God brought my wife, Taylor, and I up here to Minnesota. Um, it was something that it was clear God was directing us here. It was clear that this is where we were supposed to be. Um, and to be honest, we didn't really have much of a choice. This was where um, God was sending us through all the circumstances of life. Um, and I am so grateful and thankful um, to be, um, I believe in God's will, to be where, where God wants me to be. Um, in spite of that, this last year and a half um, in my life, I would say I've faced the greatest hardships and grief um, that I've experienced in my life up to this point. Now, granted, I'm only 25 years old, but up to this point, I don't know if I've, I've dealt with loss and grief like I have in the last 18 months. Um, leaving my parents was a lot harder than I thought it would be. I have a great relationship with my mom and dad. Um, being away from them is, is difficult. It it's, it's, feels like a loss. Um, also, in the last year and a half, um, both of my grandpas have passed away since leaving. And two men that I loved, looked up to, missed dearly. Um, other things have happened in my life as well. So where um, this, this last year and a half has been characterized by a lot of pain in my life. And so being asked to preach on joy was like, kind of a difficult. It's something um, I've been working through. Um, and as I filter that pain through scripture, I'm reminded of Romans 5, 3, um, that articulates an idea that's repeated throughout the scripture. And in Romans 5, 3, Paul says, we can rejoice when we run into problems and trials. Other translations say we can rejoice in our sufferings. So this idea of joy in our sufferings is um, something the Bible tells us as followers of Jesus that we can and should have, that we can have joy in our sufferings. And while that sounds great, sounds great to have joy in suffering, but experientially, like how I experience it in my body, my heart, and my mind, it's something that I wrestle with. How do I have joy in the midst of my pain? How do I have joy when Really what I'm feeling is hurt or grief or loss in suffering. Now, 
the Bible teachers have approached this, pro, this, this subject in a number of different ways. Um, I've heard things like choose joy, have an attitude of joy, have a mindset of joy, make, see things in a positive light, find the joy and the good in situations. And I think that's a good, there's good advice in there, but I don't, I don't know if it's perfect, and we'll come back to that. But as I wrestle with really this paradox of teaching, and a paradox, if you don't know what that is, is something that doesn't seem to be true, but it is true. The Bible and God's upside down kingdom is full of paradoxes like you can have joy in sufferings, joy in our sufferings. So today, by God's grace, um, I'm praying we can all take a step in the right direction uh, towards experiencing the enduring joy that the Bible promises all of us. So if you would, would you just join me? Um, I'm gonna pray really quickly over our service. Lord, I just thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you um, for your goodness, Lord, and your love. Lord, I pray as we um, dive into your word today, as we explore, Lord, this paradox of joy and suffering, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to grow, Lord, closer to you, to the life and to the experience that, um, that you called us to, what it looks like to, um, to follow you in this, in this age of time. Lord, have your way today. Holy Spirit, lead and guide each one of us. It's in your name we pray, amen, amen. So I'm gonna start, um, first, I wanna talk about something, I wanna talk about joy in creation. I wanna start here as we talk about joy, joy in creation. In Genesis 1, 28, um, God, or it says, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So God is um, talking to the first created man and woman, Adam and Eve. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over creation. So God created humankind to a creation. Humans, us, we are created in God's image. We are created in his likeness. When God created the world, he had you and I and humankind in mind. He created this creation for us for relationship with him, for us to rule over creation. So that's a responsibility that we take on before, even before the fall. But within that, God made this world for us. There's also, I feel like, this implicit purpose that God made this world for us and that there's this purpose for us to enjoy creation. God has made us for joy. He has, he has created in us a desire for pleasure. He's given us this creation to rule over and also to experience the joy that there is to be found in creation. In Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10, it says, So go ahead, eat your food with joy and drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife, uh, the, God, bleh, the wife God gives you is your reward for all your healthy toil. Whatever you do, do well. So Ecclesiastes is part of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Wisdom literature um, and was written by King Solomon who's considered, the Bible says, one of the wisest people to ever live. And in the book, Solomon is recounting his, um, his search for meaning. Being the wisest man in the world, he, con he contemplated the meaning of life a lot. 
And he, he, in, throughout the book, he explores the different avenues that he tried to find meaning in through work, through pleasure, wealth, wisdom, and power. And, and his, um, where he arrives as he's searching for meaning in each of those spaces, as he arrives at, even, he says, even this is meaningless. But throughout the book, after coming to that conclusion, Solomon repeats this message that we read in 9, 7 through 10. Enjoy the simple pleasures of life. God approves of this. This is the way God has made us. Enjoy the simple pleasures of life. So if you know Ecclesiastes, you may be thinking, Mason, why are we taking advice from a guy that writes a book and starts off with meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. We're at church, shouldn't we be like talking about books that are like meaningful, meaningful, everything is meaningful, right? I get that. But Solomon's conclusion isn't that everything is meaningless. As we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we see that Solomon's conclusion is that everything is meaningless apart from God. Everything is meaningless apart from God. In our lives, we've seen it in ourselves. We see it in the world around us. We all have a void in our heart, a need for fulfillment, purpose, meaning. We're all searching for it. And we see whether someone knows God or doesn't, there's that search for something more, something deeper, meaning, purpose, fulfillment. And we try to find that in the things of this world. We try to find that in romance. We try to find it in relationships. We try to find it in work, in achievement, in pleasures, in wealth, in possessions, all of these different ways. But as Solomon concluded, and all of us will conclude, if we search after trying to find ultimate purpose, meaning, fulfillment in things of this world, it's all gonna leave us at that point. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Only God can fill. A relationship with the Lord can fill that void in your heart, that deep search for purpose and for meaning. And what happens when God is filling the void that only he can fill, when we allow God to start filling that space, life's simple pleasures are allowed to play the part that they're supposed to. They enrich our lives. They were never meant to be our lives, the substance of our lives. They simply are the, the cherry on top, as they say. And they can play this role when God is my ultimate source of, of joy and the center of my attention and my affection. What happens is things like eating that steak that I really like just kind of fills my cup, you know? The steak isn't all my happiness, but man, it made last night better, right? or that drink that you love, or the, the dessert that you just really enjoy, or watching the sunset, or going on a drive, ice fishing, whatever it is that's your thing, that simple pleasure. As it says in Ecclesiastes, God approves of this. He, he relishes in you being able to enjoy the creation that he's given you. So enjoy it. Find, as we were hearing in the, the Advent prayer and teaching, man, find joy in those little things. God has given those things to you just to enrich your life. So be enriched and don't be ashamed. I feel like, and this is the, again, reaching back to Ecclesiastes, nothing is new under the sun. If you wanna read a little bit more on this topic, Colossians 2, Paul says, um, has some great teaching on this very subject because I feel like at times we can be shamed for, we, or we can, as Christians, get to this extremely religious, legalistic place where we start, no, you can't do that thing, you can't do that thing, because like we were saying, if we try to find our meaning in, in the simple pleasures, 
it's going to fall flat. It's meaningless, and it can lead to sin. So people say, don't do any of those things. And there's this, this sacred, secular divide. Go read Colossians 2. It's great. But I just want to leave you with, stop feeling shame over the things that you can enjoy, that God has, that God has created and given you to enjoy, that, that the scriptures approve of. I'll stop there. Next, um, I want to get back to where I started, talking about joy in our suffering talking about joy and our suffering. In John 16, Jesus says to his disciples, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Suffering, trials, sorrow, grief, loss, all of these things are guarantees in this world. None of us will escape this life unscathed by the, the harsh realities and pains and hurts of our world. This is a truth that we can't escape. And it's happened to you and I in many different ways. Maybe you've been passed over for a promotion called second rate. Maybe you were the last one picked for dodgeball. That still stings, I get that. Maybe you've given up on dreams in your life that you were so set on living and exploring and finding. This is guaranteed people close to you will wound you with the words that they say and the things that they do. Maybe you've felt betrayed by people that you've never thought you would be betrayed by. Those wounds go deep, losing friendships and relationships. Maybe like me, you've lost loved ones that were very close to you. It's a grief and a pain that is so difficult to travel through. Through this life, none of us will escape suffering and pain. So with all the suffering in our lives, it's a reality that we're all going to face. We return to this question, how can I find joy in my suffering? How can I find joy in my suffering? Earlier I talked about some of the teachings you and I have heard about joy and suffering. Choose joy, have a mindset of joy. And while these, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I'm gonna take a drink of water. <clears throat> So while these teachings can be um, helpful and there's good advice in them, I said earlier they aren't perfect. And here's what I see. We, we hear these teachings about choosing joy, having a mindset of joy, turn, you know, looking at the situation and finding what I can be grateful and joyful about. What can happen though as we take that teaching or that idea and we, and we practice it and put it into practice in our life they can lead us to this, this specific, very unhealthy practice and belief. What we do, what we can do with that teaching is begin to ignore my suffering and act like everything is great. I bury my suffering deep inside. I avoid the pain and the grief. I just put it away and act like it's not there. And then I just choose and, and turn my situation and only think about what's good. What happens when we bury and ignore and avoid our grief, our pain, our suffering? We're wounded by the sufferings and by the things that happen. When we bury those things, it simply compounds and extends the damage that is already done. When I eat it, when I ignore it, when I, when I just avoid it altogether, it can cause ripple effects in our life, undealt with pain, undealt with grief, undealt with trauma, it causes dysfunction in our interpersonal relationships. It can cause things like anxiety, depression, contribute so much to addiction in our world. 
we don't confront and work to understand our suffering and our grief and mourn what needs to be mourned and have humility to say, hey, maybe this thing really did hurt me, really did change me, and I need to deal with this. If we don't do that, it's just gonna cause more pain in your life. All the while, we're trying to just be this joyful, joyful person. So here's what I see. I think we all have to know and accept, church, that joy and pain will and must exist together. It's not a one or the other. We, we, how, the way we see things, and I was talking earlier, I wrestled with this. How can joy and pain exist together? Because it feels like in how I experience it, I only experience one or the other. And for us to ignore our pain and suffering and to only see the good, what happens is we agree with that. That mindset that says, I can only feel one or the other. But God, in his, in his wisdom, and in understanding this kind of joy and suffering, we have to accept and understand that joy and suffering will exist together. As followers of Christ, in our Christian joy that we're talking about right now, suffering isn't the absence of grief, but finding joy in the midst of our grief. I'm gonna say that again. Christian joy and suffering isn't the absence of grief, but finding joy in the midst of our grief. So, how do we experience joy in our suffering? There's a few um, verses, a few passages that I think are good for us to remember as we search for, for joy in our suffering. And the first is this, we join with Christ in his suffering. Remember that we join with Christ in his suffering. Colossians 1.24, Paul says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. Participating in the sufferings of Christ. So if you've ever watched a sports movie, I love sports movies. Not everyone does, but they're my cup of tea for sure. When you watch a sports movie, a lot of times one of the themes is like this idea of like developing a team and the things that contribute to a team getting really close and that's what makes them successful and they win the championship at the end of the movie. That's how it not always goes, but usually how it goes. And one common scene I see in movies about teams is usually there's this time where there's a player who does something wrong and he gets punished for it. He's got to run some crazy amount or do a bunch of push-ups or whatever that would be. And he is the only one that has to pay that punishment. He's the only one that has to suffer those consequences. But in these sports movies, what always seems to happen is there's other teammates that they don't have to serve the punishment, but they join him in his suffering and they do the, the, the workout and they do that kind of punishment with him. And what that communicates to that player is, hey, you're not alone. We're with you. We're like carrying this burden with you. We're gonna get you through. And it's always this catalyst for making the team closer. We, I see this all the time. And in the same way, it's good to be reminded in our sufferings that we're not alone. Amen? In our sufferings, we're not alone. Jesus suffered so much for us. He was God incarnate, came in the flesh, and went through what we've went through and suffered even probably greater than we could ever suffer for us. It's an honor to be on his team. And it's an honor to participate in his life. So we join with Christ in his suffering. We can find joy in that. We also can find joy in the idea that suffering produces character. Suffering produces character. Romans 5, three through four, which we read earlier, 
um, but we'll read these two verses together, says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. We have to remember that joy and suffering, they coexist at the same time. In the midst of our suffering, we find joy. And if you've been around for a while, you know that the hardest moments in life a lot of times produce the most growth in our life, right? We know this, we've learned this. But sometimes in the midst of our suffering, we can forget that the hardest moments in our life do produce growth. They produce, produce good things in our life. But when we have that perspective, when we're looking back on those hard moments, the places where we struggle, we look back and we have this perspective of like, I would, I would do that again because of what God did in my life, how God helped me grow, what God brought me through. And so for us in the midst of our suff- any of new sufferings and new grief and new loss and struggles that we go through, we remember, we, it's good for us to remember, as Romans 5, 3, and 4 is reminding us, that we can rejoice in our sufferings because God uses, works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He's gonna take my grief and my sorrow and he's gonna help me grow wiser, stronger, hopefully more loving, better. We can be reminded of this and find joy that suffering produces character. We can also find joy in suffering from the joy of the already not yet kingdom of God. Joy in the already not yet kingdom of God. So theologically, I'm still working my way through this one. It's like the Trinity. It just like bends my mind. But I think it's pretty amazing. When Jesus came, he said the kingdom is coming. In fact, the kingdom is now here. When Jesus came to this world, he inaugurated the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God at the end of the age will be fully consummated. But the kingdom of God, to give you a picture, is like a return to the garden. So we read the first few chapters of Genesis and we see this world that God has created and he says it is all good. But it's a world where there's perfect relationship and connection to God, unbroken by sin. No pain, no suffering, all things are good. Adam and Eve ruling and reigning, taking care of God's creation. It's a beautiful, it's a paradise. And the kingdom of God is a return to that reality, a return to the garden. And in this current age, though, we live in an already not yet kingdom that we, we are able to see through the New Testament that we live in this already not yet kingdom. In Jesus' ministry, and now through the Holy Spirit working through the church, the future kingdom breaks into the present. People are healed, they are fed, clothed and changed by the power and the goodness of God. So the reality of no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, the reality of relationship with God and freedom with God and and life overcoming the effects of sin. The future kingdom breaks into the present. We see that in the life and ministry of Jesus. And the Bible says that we're supposed to see that through the life and ministry of the church, us. Not just life church, but every church as we're obediently listening to the Holy Spirit. God wants that future kingdom, his healing, his goodness, his power, connection and relationship with him, the experience of freedom, and forgiveness in him, breaking through into the present. In this age in life, we get a taste of what eternity will look like. We get a taste of the freedom there is in Christ, of life abundantly. But until Christ returns, we exist in this in-between space where we have to grapple still with suffering and death, and yet we get to taste the fullness of life that is to come. And so we can find joy in the 
already not yet kingdom in that one in this life until Jesus returns, we do get to taste and experience. We get to taste and see that God is good, that he's real, that he's loving. See his power working. But we also can have joy knowing that in our sufferings, that this isn't the end, that one day Jesus will return. That if you are a follower of Jesus in this room and you continue to walk with Jesus for the rest of your life, that you're gonna get to experience that fully consummated kingdom where there is no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain, perfect relationship with God restored. I can have joy in my struggles knowing that that is the blessed hope that I look forward to. I'm gonna wrap up with this. Lastly, I wanna talk about joy in God. Finding joy in God. And this is following along with this idea of joy in our suffering. So everything I've set up to this point is good, it's important, but if you're like, the person that's like, Mason, give me the Cliff Notes version of your sermon, start listening now. If you, hopefully you missed the rest of it. This is what you need to listen to. Joy from a biblical perspective. Here's what I see. The ultimate source of joy, the ultimate source of joy is experiencing the reality and the goodness of God. The ultimate source of joy in all of our life is experiencing the reality and the goodness of God. This point pulls on the idea that in the Christian faith, Information has to turn to transformation. What we know in our head, God means to move it to our heart. What we, it's the difference between knowing and experiencing. I can know in my head that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. I can know in my head that Jesus died for me so that in my life I could be forgiven and set free from the effects of sin. I can know this but God wants me to experience it. And so I ask you this question, I ask myself this question. Do you know how God feels about you? Do you know how God feels about you? I think the most, one of the most powerful pictures of how God feels about us is in Luke chapter 15, where, where Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. Many of you know it, maybe not all of you. But the story of the prodigal son goes like this. It's a picture of, it's, and it's meant to illustrate our relationship with God. But in the story, there's this son, and he, he breaks relationship with his father. He breaks his heart. He takes what's his, and he runs. He wants nothing to do with the father anymore. He runs, he wastes it all away, and he finds himself with nothing. And in the story, he comes back to the father, expecting nothing, expecting to be treated as less than a son, because that's what he deserved. But in Luke chapter 15, in the story of the prodigal son, we get a picture of God's heart for you and for me. That no matter how far you run, no matter how bad you messed up, no matter how much you could have hurt God with what you've done, the picture we get of God is God running after you. The picture we get of God is arms wide open. He undignifies himself. He doesn't, he isn't thinking about the like the optics of the situation of like, well, this would look bad because like this is my son or my daughter who's messed up and you know, they should come to me. No, God is running after you and his arms are wide open and he's so full of joy, hugging and embracing you saying, son, daughter, I'm so glad you're home. I love you. That is the heart of God. The point 
for us isn't to know the answers to the test, to check the box to the afterlife isn't to get our one-way ticket into heaven. The point of this life and this faith is that when you encounter our real God and his heart for you, everything changes. You change. He becomes the center of your attention and your affection. And as good and as enticing as the things of this world can be, nothing and no one is better than God. Nothing and no one is better than the love of God. No life is better than God's life. And when I realized how much God loved me, and I'm still in the process, I, don't, I, can, I do not yet fully grasp, but as I'm beginning to grasp with how God feels about me, it changes everything. I started today talking about my last year and a half, the hurt and the suffering. Leaving family and losing grandparents that I love that I wasn't ready to lose. I identify with the disciples in Luke 18. They say to Jesus, we left our homes for you. Jesus repeats this idea throughout his ministry, saying that God's love is so good and so big that he is so worth it, that not even the best things in this life are worth giving, are, are worth keeping if it, if it doesn't mean sticking with God and putting him first. We, read, we heard a, a passage last week from Matthew about how Jesus said, I didn't come peace, but to bring peace, but to bring the sword, to cut, uh, to cut like relationships with family, with mother, daughter, brother, sister. And you're like, what, Jesus, what are you talking about? He's not saying that those relationships aren't important. He's not saying that, that those things aren't incredible and a part of this life that we're supposed to enjoy. But he's saying that compared to me, compared to relationship with me, Nothing comes close to relationship with God. Nothing comes close to the love and the goodness of God. That in your life, God may call you away from the best things in your life. The source of suffering so often is losing the things that we love the most. This is what I've been grappling with. And I find ultimate joy Joy that endures through my suffering because I've realized that I can lose everything. Lose all of it. The things that I love and care about the most and that I can still find joy because I can cling to God. He's the only sure thing that we have, folks. Everything else is finite. Everything else can fall away. We can lose it all and still find joy in, a, in that kind of suffering and desolation because God is still good, because God still loves you and you don't need anything else but him. I'm still learning to live in that place. I don't think I'm maybe quite to that, but I'm starting to see that he is so good and so worthy and his love so amazing that I can lose the best things in my life and I can still find joy because the best thing in all of this universe is him and that best thing in the universe wants you. That's all he wants. His heart is for you. I'm gonna wrap up. Worship team, you can come up. I have a few um, 
challenges for you today, a few things that we can do to begin to unlock the joy that there is in God. Um, and I'm not, I don't like being, I don't like the idea of like, here's how you can control your life and make things happen. Life is much more organic. But here's, more, here's some things that I believe can help us begin to understand this joy in God that's available to us. First off, I don't think it would be a Christian sermon if one of the application points was read your Bible and pray. So everybody, read your Bible and pray. When I talk about reading your Bible, information can't turn to transformation unless you're accessing the information. Begin to interact with the truth of God's word. I wasn't able to download and under, begin to even grasp God's love until I began, began to read God's word, asking the question, what does this tell me about God and who he is? So I encourage you in your time in scripture to ask yourself that question as you're reading. Because we can read the story and we can try to find meaning in all these different things. Find meaning in this because I believe this is one of the primary objectives of scripture. What does this tell me about who God is and how he loves me? Second, practice prayer. Practice God's presence. Prayer isn't just us talking to God, it's us listening to God. And few things move our heart, move us into understanding that first off, God is real. When I hear him speak, I'm like, okay, this is for real. And then if he's real, the implications of what I know to be true about God and his unbelievable love for me. If we practice presence and allow God to speak to us, he'll speak to the depths of your heart. He'll sp speak how, how worth it and how, how, how worth it you are to him how much he loves you. It'll begin to change in you. The second thing I would encourage you with is to put yourself in a position to serve and to love people selflessly. Put yourself in a position to serve and love people selflessly. It can be really tough for some folks, this idea of information to transformation. You feel like you've struggled to deeply experience God's radical love for you. You've grown up in the church or you've been at church for two weeks and you're like, I'm starting to get, I, I believe maybe what you're saying is true, but I haven't experienced it. I haven't had that move where it's really begun to impact me. And that's where I would encourage you with this, to position yourself to greater understand and experience God's love. If that's what you're wanting, if that's your objective, then put yourself in a place to love and serve others the way that God loves you. If you wanna experience God's heart for you, put yourself in a position to have to live that kind of heart and love out for another person. In that selfless way, unconditional way, love that isn't about what I can get back, but purely about how can I bless, how can I show you that you're cared for, that you're valued. And our community and our church is full of opportunities like that, where maybe they don't have a lot to offer in return, but there's a lot for you to give. There's children, students in this church, there's youth mentorship programs in this, in this community that you can be a part of. We also have people with disabilities, people with mental health disorders and struggles. We have a large population in our community. We have, um, we have uh, nursing homes, so many different ways and opportunities for you to love like God loves you. And the thing that's gonna happen as you, as you serve and love selflessly, sometimes you have to take a step before you, get, before you start to understand it in your heart. But you take that step and you're gonna begin to experience God's heart for another person. 
and it's gonna give you a picture or even just a glimpse of how God feels about you. So if you're wanting to move from information to transformation, I would encourage you to love and to serve selflessly. Find a way to do that. Lastly, find people who represent the love of Jesus well. I know there's people in this church that absolutely do that. But as you look around in your life, find people that love like God loves. Be with them, be near them, be around them. And you may begin to get a picture of how God feels about and how God loves you. If you will, let's stand. I'm gonna pray. And then we will go into a time of worship. If you will bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, we just love you. We thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the joy that can never be taken away. The joy that I have in you. God, that all else can fail, but you'll never fail. All else can fall away, but you'll never fall away. You'll always be there. Lord, and you're the best thing in this entire world. Lord, I pray for people in this room that have struggled in one way or another to know your unbelievable heart for them. God, and I pray in naturally supernatural ways, God, that you will begin to reveal your unbelievable love for them. God, show them that you've been running after them this whole time. That you just long to embrace them. That there's nothing that they have done or could do that'll make you love them less till the day they die. You desire them completely and wholly and unconditionally you love. God, the kind of acceptance so many people in this world are finding, God, we find it in you. May people begin to experience your transforming love today. Experience the joy that's found in that place. Lord Jesus, and I pray for your church. Fill us with your love and your Holy Spirit. Not just in power, but in the fruits of the Spirit. God, as, as people in our community are interacting with the Christians of our church and the churches throughout Fergus Falls, God, may Christians no longer be known, Lord, for judgment and high and mightyism, but God, may we be known for our love. May people see you not only working in power, but may they see your goodness and the way that your church loves and serves. God, may we realize that that is your primary objective for us, that people see that you are worthy, that you are real, that you are good. Oh, Jesus, we love you and we praise you transform our hearts today. In your name we pray. Amen.